2: slash iheart
3: You know that feeling when you walk into your home? Take a deep breath and feel new.
4: The Season with Peter Schrager is a production of the NFL in partnership with iHeartRadio. What's up, everybody? This is Peter Schrager. I'm the uh, host of Good Morning Football on the NFL Network. I work on Fox NFL Kickoff on Sundays for Fox Sports and... My newest venture is this beautiful podcast called The Season with Peter Schrager. We are getting more and more listeners every week. It is a sign of great strength, but a sign of great growth. And at the end of the year, I'm just grateful for everyone who has been listening and has been coming along on the ride. I am joined by
5: my producer, Aaron Wong Kaufman. Aaron, what is up, man? Week 14. How are you? I'm pretty good. It was a great week of football this weekend. There was like, I feel like a lot of storylines, a lot of playoff pictures coming together. Uh really exciting weekend.
4: It lived up to the to, to the billing last weekend. Like it was one of those deals where I around Tuesday I was like, wait a second, this is a loaded weekend. We've got, you know, Giants commanders, you've got the, the Dolphins and the Niners storyline, you've got uh this incredible Bengals Chiefs rematch, and then if, sure enough, Find myself on Monday night up until midnight watching Saints Buccaneers. And I posed this question um, on Good Morning Football to start the show. Everyone, you know, on, on Tuesday morning, and that's where we're recording this right now, is like, what a comeback by Brady. What an amazing thing by Brady. In fact, uh, there was a tweet that went out and it was, it was from Front Office Sports, they said, tonight with just over three minutes to go, the Bucs trailed the the Saints by 13 points. They had a 3.3% chance to win at that point per ESPN. And with eight seconds left, Tom Brady threw the latest game-winning touchdown of his 23-year career. And your initial reaction is, Brady's amazing. How did he do it? You can never count him out, and that's all right. I cannot get over that collapse by the Saints. And maybe that says a lot about me as a person. And maybe that says something about me as a uh, in a psychotherapy situation where I look at that Super Bowl 28 to three and I'm like, yeah, Brady was great. But I also look at it as how does Dan Quinn, Matt Ryan, Kyle Shanahan, Grady Jarrett and the entire uh, Atlanta Falcons organization sleep the next day. Last night, Aaron, the Saints gave that game away to the Buccaneers in about 35 different ways. I'm talking about... Everything from Mark Ingram running out of bounds and stopping the clock one yard short of a first down to put the game away. I'm talking about throwing the ball on third and one and then punting the ball on fourth and one, which made no sense. I'm talking about a six-man defensive backfield that was a prevent defense for the last two drives that just basically let Brady just walk right up and down the field. Um, if I'm a Bucks fan, I am elated this morning. If you're six and six, you're in the thick of the playoff hunt, probably hosting a playoff game. Great. If I am a Saints fan, I am sick this morning. It's games like those that cost you playoff spots. It's games like those that, that cost people jobs. Um, does that say more about Me as a person, Aaron, deep cut here. I just watched the uh, Jonah Hill um, doc on Netflix with his psychologist or psychiatrist, Phil Stutz. And it's all about like, you know, introspection and looking. What's it say about
5: me that I always look at the negative and I'm like, the the Bucks didn't win that game. The Saints lost that game. Uh, I don't know. I mean, especially because I feel like everyone is so optimistic with the Bucks and Brady. Like so much of the narrative has been... Oh, they will pull it together. Brady is going to obviously make the playoffs. They're going to they're going to the offense is going to work suddenly, you know, come January and and maybe everyone else is being too positive about them. I don't know, watching them like I love Mike Evans. I love Chris Godwin, and it just seems like the the offense isn't working. I I think you're right. I think like it's not wrong to be too pessimistic about them.
4: Yeah, and uh, I was really just asking you about to talk about me. Um, you missed the assignment there. I didn't need your Saints-Bucks thoughts. I'm just kidding. I love your Saints-Bucks thoughts. Do you want to do
5: four downs? Yeah, let's go. Let's go. All right, first down. Without Jimmy G, are the 49ers done? What What do you think is going to happen now?
4: I think uh, the 49ers are far from done, and I think it's uh, multiple reasons why I still am quite optimistic about this 49ers team. First off... There is no franchise more uniquely qualified to get through a major adversity as far as an injury goes than the 49ers. And I'm not talking about just Trey Lance this summer, which everyone was already penciling him in as a starter. He goes down and Jimmy G just fills right in. That one is like we knew Jimmy G. I go back to 2020. Now, you know that in 2019, they went to the Super Bowl. They were a Jimmy Garoppolo pass away from winning a Super Bowl. In 2021, they went to the NFC Championship game. They were a few plays away from going to the Super Bowl. Sandwich in between that was a crazy 2020 COVID season where... They lost everyone to injury. Jimmy Garoppolo missed 10 games. Raheem Mostert missed eight games. Debo Samuel missed nine games. Kittle missed eight games. Trent Williams missed games with an elbow. D. Ford missed 15 games with a back injury. Nick Bosa missed 14 games with a knee injury. Richard Sherman missed 11 weeks. This is the week, the year after they went to Super Bowl. They didn't go to the playoffs that year. They won a lot of games, though. And then, to make matters worse... In December of that season, because of the California state laws or their county state laws, because of COVID, they weren't allowed to play games in their home stadium and they weren't allowed to practice in their home stadium in the final month of the season. So they had to live in a Glendale, Arizona, Renaissance hotel, play their home games in Arizona, be away from their families, have the tightest COVID rule, And they were winning games during that. I I think this 49ers team, and most of those guys are still there, are are just one of one when it comes to like dealing with crap when it comes to injuries. Jimmy's gone down multiple times for this team. He went down the first year he got there. He went down in 2020. They'll be okay. And I think Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch have been together through all of this, and it's one of those deals where it's like, all right, here's another adversity. Whereas other teams... I think they get that, and it's a gut punch, and it's like, all right, pack it in. If you notice, they didn't miss a beat when Brock Purdy came in Sunday against the Dolphins. In fact, their offense looked actually better, I thought, with Purdy running the thing. Now, look, they're going to miss Garoppolo's experience. They're going to miss Garoppolo's leadership. They're going to miss Garoppolo as a better NFL player than Brock Purdy. Objectively, he is. If he wasn't, Brock Purdy would have been starting this season. and would have been the number two coming into the season. Garoppolo's better. This is a major setback, but it doesn't mean it's their season. And I've been going through the annals of time with the NFL and looking for, like, good, you know, I guess, examples of this. And it has to be very specific. It's a guy who was third string, who was a rookie, who came in. And the one that I got was Sean King from Tulane. This goes back, Aaron, before your time as a fan. 1999, we know that the uh, Rams won the greatest show on turf. But the Buccaneers that year were coached by Tony Dungy. And they had Warren Sapp and Derek Brooks and Rondé Barber and John Lynch and Donnie Abraham. And they were loaded. They were loaded. And they had a really good backfield with Warwick Dunn and Mike Alstott. And Trent Dilfer was their quarterback. Dilfer was up and down all season. He goes down with an injury. Eric Zier went down with an injury. And they go to... Sean King, who is a rookie out of Tulane and he won them games and he won them a playoff game and he got them right to the end of the NFC championship game against the greatest show on turf and came just short. I look at Sean King, a reference that is 23 years old and say, if Sean King could do what he did for the Buccaneers in 99, Brock Purdy can do the same for the 49ers. I am not out on the 49ers. In fact,
5: I think they're going to be okay. And I still think they're going to win their division. Awesome. All right, second down. What do you make of the Vikings who are now 10 and 2 with a big win over the Jets? Big win over the Jets, and yet I I look at the the odds
4: and I look at the spreads this weekend and I'm not a big gambler. In fact, I don't gamble, but I look at the the stuff out of just curiosity and I like to know where where people are are, are putting their heads at. The Detroit Lions are favored at five and seven over the ten and two Minnesota Vikings this weekend when they play. So what is going on here? I I don't I don't hate it. I think it's it's actually fair. They have nine one-score uh game wins, meaning they've won nine different games by seven points or less. Their win against the Jets wasn't convincing to me because they were up big and they let the Jets come all the way back. And it took a a miraculous, you know, red zone stop at the end to win by five in a game that they were up by 17. This isn't the first time they've done that. I'm going to go through the list, but week four, they let the Saints back in the game. Week five, they let the Bears come back into the game. Week six, they let the Dolphins back into the game. And week eight, they let the Cardinals back into the game. They win all these games but they do so only by letting the team come all the way back and they have to fight it out at the very last seconds. So let's go through them. Week 4, they were up by 6 at the half and they win 28-25 against a Saints team that probably didn't belong on the same field that day. They against the Bears, were up 21 to 3 and ended up having to squeak one out after the Bears went 19-0 on a run and they had to just squeak it out at the end to win. Dolphins game they're up 10-3 going into the fourth. They're up 16-3 with 14 minutes left against the Dolphins, uh, third string quarterback Skylar Thompson. And of course, the Dolphins come all the way back and they have to hang on and get an interception at the end and uh and win 24 to 16. Cardinals, they're up 14-10 at the half. Cardinals come racing back. They have to, you know, pull one out of their uh, out of their back pocket at the end. And then this thing of the Jets, they're, of course. They're winning the whole game, and the Jets, you know, eek all the way back, and they have to have an interception at the end. That's not convincing to me. And yet, the counter to that, Aaron, is. They're 10-2. and two. Shut up. A win is a win. No one cares about that. And those wins are going to help them down the stretch. I don't see it that way. I think this Vikings team, there's something up when they have to let every team back into the game and they've got to just survive by the skin of their teeth. I understand uh, why the Lions are favored, and I'm sorry. I just I can't be all in on the 10-2 and two Vikings. I think the Eagles and the Cowboys are playing
5: better football. Okay, third down. Can the Raiders, on the backs of Josh Jacobs and Devontae Adams, can they make a run here? Can they make a playoff push?
4: It's fun, isn't it? Uh, the Raiders were two and seven less than a month ago, and people were calling for Josh McDaniels' head. They've won three in a row in dramatic fashion. They're five and seven right now. The Las Vegas Raiders and Josh Jacobs is playing better than any running back in football. Uh, Devontae Adams, Justin Jefferson, Tyreek Hill included, is playing better than any wide receiver in football. Derek Carr is playing well. Max Crosby is getting to the quarterback, and they're winning games. Five and seven right now, their remaining schedule, a Thursday night game at the Rams, they will win that game. A Sunday game against the Patriots that has now been flexed out of Sunday night into a late window, the Patriots have lost two straight, and they seem to be on fumes right now. A Christmas Eve game on the 50-year anniversary of the Immaculate Reception at Pittsburgh. I know Pittsburgh's won a couple games in a row here, but if the Raiders are now rolling in five straight wins going into Pittsburgh, I'd like to think they've got a pretty good shot and are going to be feeling themselves. A New Year's Day game against the 49ers in Vegas with the 49ers now suddenly with Brock Purdy at quarterback and may have already clinched their division. And they end the season at home against the chiefs. And I'm assuming the chiefs have already locked up the division. The chiefs might know where they're playing in the playoffs. They might've locked up the one seed based on things, how things go. Even if that's not the case, the chiefs will have locked up a playoff berth and the Raiders will be playing for everything. I think the Raiders can run the table here at Rams home against the patriots, at steelers, home against the niners, home against the chiefs. If the raiders run the table, they go from 5 and 7 to 6 and 7, 7 and 7, 8 and 7, 9 and 7, finish the season 10 and 7, they're a playoff team if they go 10 and 7. Boom, love it. All right, fourth down. Who do you want to shout out this week? This is a sentimental one. One of our favorite guys that comes on the show on Good Morning Football is Cameron Hayward. He is a wonderful young man. He's a great player. He's also one of the fiercest defensive linemen in the sport. He and I have had a long relationship based on his appearances on our show. But last year, I specifically remember they were going up against the Bills. And for the first three days on the show, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I'm like, the Bills are going to beat them. The Bills are going to beat them. The the Steelers have no shot. Cameron Hayward's our guest on a Thursday. And Cameron Hayward comes on and he's like, Schrager, you're going to eat your words. You're going to eat your words. We're not losing to the Bills. Just watch. The Bills beat them, and I felt pretty proud about that. We fast-forward to the draft. There's Cameron Hayward at a draft event by the NFL where I was invited to. I walk in. I believe uh, Roger Goodell was there. Mark Sanchez, I remember being there. Uh, Andrew Whitworth there. I walk in, and there's Cameron Hayward, and I'm like, oh, here i do i gotta go and you know face up this guy i'm gonna have one of these moments where he's gonna stare me down the biggest hug the greatest laughs and we talked for about a half hour and his whole thing was i want to get into media i want to have an opportunity to do what you do when this thing is done and we talked about it the importance of going to the broadcast boot camp and he also talked about his little brother He had a little brother who was an H-back, tight end, running back type out of Michigan State and was trying to get drafted. And I, you know, he's asking me, it's the day before the draft. I don't think he's a first round pick. I'm not sure he's a second round pick, but you know, there's a shot. Well, his brother Connor went in the sixth round and he was drafted by guess who? The Pittsburgh Steelers. So the two of these guys have been playing together all season long. Connor fighting for a spot on the active roster. You know, Cam, obviously the team captain and their Walter Payton man of the year nominee and an all-time guy. Well, they go down and they play the Atlanta Falcons last Sunday. And here's the story everyone might not know. Um, their father is Craig Ironhead Hayward, of course, a great New Orleans Saint and a great Atlanta Falcon who was tragically taken from us uh, you know, shortly thereafter his playing career. So what not everybody knows is that the morning of the game before kickoff, um, they're in Atlanta, obviously, and... Cameron Hayward and his brother Connor went to the gravesite of uh, their father and they visited the gravesite and then they go out and they play this game and Cam Hayward's all over the field and guess who scores his first NFL touchdown? Connor Hayward scores a touchdown, beautiful one in the back of the end zone. And after the game, uh, Cameron Hayward was full of tears, was incredible, and he was wearing his father's Falcons jersey, the number 34, the Craig Ironhead Hayward I believe we have a clip of his press conference after the game. Take a listen. Uh,
6: if I could share a story, like this morning me and him went to my dad's grave and, you know, we got to share a moment there. Um, and so I was pretty emotional when, uh, you know, he got the, the, the touchdown. Uh, I don't like to be Mr. Soppy, but, like, that, that, like, really hit me. Luckily there wasn't a camera on me because I was a mess.
4: I love Cameron Hayward. He's an awesome guy. He's going to be great in media when he's done with his thing, and he's still one of the top players. And as of today, he was nominated for the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award. I really hope he wins it. He's incredible in the community. I don't know his little brother, Connor, but I love that he scored a touchdown, and I love that story. Those are my guys who get a shout-out on fourth down. Aaron, what about you?
5: All right. So my fourth down shout-out this week is for Mr. Irrelevant himself, Brock Purdy. Uh, did a little bit of deep diving into him. I mean, I'm not, uh, I will admit I'm not the biggest Iowa State fan, so I didn't I didn't know a ton about him before this weekend. Enlighten us, make us smarter. So so Brock Purdy's born in Queen Creek, Arizona. Uh, his father, Sean, was a huge dolphins fan. And in fact, the day that Brock was born, that night, his dad had him on his lap, watching a Dolphins game. That's hilarious.
4: And they just beat the Uh, Dolphins. Keep going. I love this. Give it to me. Aaron, this is why you're here. Come on.
5: His dad's favorite player was Marino. And so, of course, Brock follows along with his dad. He's a big Marino fan. But then he also grew up really idolizing Tim Tebow. So he plays high school at Perry High School. Um, he's he's there. His sophomore year, he's split in time at quarterback. He has an okay season, but then he gets mono and he misses the entire mononucleosis? Enti- mononucleosis. Uh, misses the entire summer. Before COVID, there was mono right. folks. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Um, misses the whole summer. Uh, and like the first three games of his junior Damn. year, he loses, I think it was like 25 pounds, which like for a junior in high school is oh. a lot of weight to yeah, lose. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he's determined to get his career back going. He, he's not getting any attention from the big schools, so he works with local quarterbacks coach Steve Axman, who famously also worked with Troy Aikman famously. Uh, when he was in Axman. Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm sure you knew all about the Axman. <laughs> Keep yeah. going. I'm in on Axman. He's gonna be a guest next week. Keep going. So yeah. <laughs> Um, so then Brock goes on to throw for over 3000 yards. He gets, he's named Gatorade's football player of the year. State football player of the year? Like nation, like that's huge. Yeah. He's he's the Arizona Republic's high school football player of the year. All Arizona QB. He gets all these awards, but. Big colleges still not really showing him any interest. And he gets offers from like UNLV, Northern Arizona, New Mexico State, but none of the big schools that he's looking for. So he goes into senior year playing throughout the season, not getting the attention. He leads the, the Pumas, which is their mascot, to like their first state football final. It's December. He finally gets a walk on opportunity with Alabama, which is a huge deal. Nick
4: Saban says you can walk on.
5: Yes. Okay. Walk on. It's not a scholarship, it's not an offer, it's a walk on opportunity. Um he then also gets a little interest from Kansas and then in, later in December he gets Kansas gives him a full offer. Okay. or an actual offer and Boise State offers him a scholarship. He's keeps saying, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait till the signing days and make some decisions then. In January, UCF offers him. Brock goes to visit Boise State and then Alabama starts pushing and the Alabama assistant coach comes to visit him and he says, Saban won't let me make an offer yet. I have to go call him and get back to you. Then the next day, the assistant coach's flight is canceled. He can't get out, oh. and he calls Saban, and Saban gives him the okay to offer Brock a full scholarship. No. So he went from Done. a walk-on opportunity to full scholarship. Done. Go to Alabama. What are you doing? You're going to be with Tua and Mac Jones and Jalen Hurts. Go. Instead, he also gets an offer from Iowa State and Arizona State, UCLA, Texas A&M. He's okay, so a lot everyone's of coming now. Yeah. And one thing I really loved, like when he did make his announcement, his his dad. Pointed out that like Brock, he he pushed the date of his announcement because there were uh, other players who were announcing where they were going that day, and Brock didn't want to take the spotlight from them. He didn't want to be front and center. Like I like this at, at his announcement, it was a bunch of people at the table with him. He was the only one with a mic, and he was uncomfortable about that. Yep, which is like a, a, I a nice it. little personality like Purdy. So he goes to Iowa State because, I th- like, when he went there, they went to a basketball game. The student body is all chanting, "We Ames, want." Ames, Iowa, is awesome. I've been; it's fun. So, so he goes. He's the third string quarterback. He's wearing number fifteen, Tebow's number. Okay. And in the freshman year, um, he's behind Kyle Kempt and Zeb Noland. Okay. Kemp gets injured and Nolan gets benched and Purdy is starting as a freshman there. He went, he played four years with Iowa State, three of those years with Brees Hall, uh, Jets running back. Yeah. And, you know, he finished his career as the winningest QB in Dude, Iowa. Dude, he
4: started State. 41 games, Division One. Yeah. 41
5: games he started. That's incredible. And he's the program's leader in passing yards, touchdown passes, completions, completion percentage, and like he's one of only six players in Big 12 history with 10,000 passing yards and 1,000 rushing yards. Other people on that list are Sam Ellinger, Baker Mayfield, RG3, Colt McCoy um and then this year he gets drafted with the last pick by the niners and there have been seven other quarterbacks who've been drafted as mr irrelevant uh, most recently chad kelly but brock is the first one to throw a touchdown pass in the nfl and he's doing it wearing number 13 dan marina's number i love it and the first game that he wins is against the dolphins and against
4: Tua, who was the quarterback yeah. at Alabama when he was probably being
5: recruited. Yeah. Uh, I love that. Aaron,
4: great job. I honestly didn't know a lot of that. I'll add um one thing, and it's a small little nugget. We showed the draft video on Good Morning Football today, Tuesday, of when Brock Purdy was drafted. He was selected as the very last pick of the seventh round. His family is jumping up and down. He's excited. They're hugging each other. I think that Mr. Irrelevant thing, a lot of players are insulted by it. They don't want to be Mr. Irrelevant. It means that, uh, you know, 255 other people were taken before you. It, it, it reminds you, hell, I was just drafted by an NFL team. I, my dream's been realized. If I do nothing else, I was drafted by an NFL team. But uh, it sounds like that was just the start for Brock Purdy's story. But thank you for all those beginning chapters. Really good job, Aaron.
5: Thank you. Yeah, I'm excited to see what he does this weekend.
4: Yeah, Um, and now it's for our time for our guest. I am so pumped to bring this guy on. I don't think he does a ton of media, and I think when he gets on the microphone, you're going to see why he might be the next head coach of your NFL team. Uh, It's one of the most successful offensive coordinators in football over the last two years. He's young. He's 38. He's the man. Let's get Bengals offensive coordinator, Brian Callahan,
0: on the horn. You go into your shower feeling tired.
1: Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual-wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Are you
3: tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade.
4: I'm beyond excited to introduce our next guest to the season with Peter Schrager. Uh, He's the offensive coordinator of the reigning AFC champion Cincinnati Bengals. He's one of the great young offensive minds in football, and he's also a hell of a mentor and teacher to both quarterbacks and skill position players and offensive linemen alike. Ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome in Brian Callahan from the Cincinnati Bengals.
6: Awesome. Good to be here. Appreciate it.
4: Dude, I I love having you on. Uh, This is great. And as we're recording this, we're two days removed from what was hyped as the rematch of all rematches and really uh, played out as a heck of a game. And I came away from it thinking this Bengals team, they don't waver, they don't quiver, and that quarterback is something. What was your takeaway now that we're 48 hours removed from the big win against the Chiefs on Sunday?
6: The same things. You know, it really was uh, an excellent performance by Joe, probably playing the quarterback position as good as anybody in football right now. Uh, we go as he goes, and his ability to stay calm in a moment um, and make clutch plays when when clutch plays are required are are one of his uh, great strengths. And so you get a chance to play that team at home, uh, you know, nine and nine and three football team, and are probably arguably the best team in the AFC. And uh, I thought we answered the bell and showed that we're for real and we're contenders in the in the AFC, and, and hopefully for the for the whole uh, for the whole thing.
4: You're awesome. We're going to get into your whole story and what you're all about. But I, you mentioned Joe. You know Joe Burrow. To, I said yesterday on the show, I'm like, he's so dialed in. It almost seems like he's unflappable. At points, I think he's like almost a robot or an alien in that he doesn't seem to go up or down. He's just so laser focused. What's it like prepping for games with Joe Burrow, and then when the the bullets are flying in the actual moments within the 60 minutes? What's it like being able to coach him and really be in his ear?
6: Yeah, it's a lot of fun getting ready for games because he's he's he is super dialed in. I mean, during the week, it's. Uh, he's got a laser focus all the time. Uh, how you see him on game day is is really how he is in the meeting room, on the practice field. Uh, his ability uh, to focus and compartmentalize and get ready for a game is maybe one of the best I've been around, and I've been around some good ones. and um, you know that that type of intensity is is fun to be around. It might not be for everybody, um, but that's that's what makes him great and and he's he's growing and learning and becoming a more mature quarterback kind of every week that goes on and Uh, It's been really fun to see his growth from the start to the finish. Uh, Now we're, we're, you know, we're at right now from when we drafted him. So, um, you know, it's intense and that's the way you want it to be when you're starting quarterbacks like that.
4: We love stories here on the pod. And uh, I remember when you guys had that first overall pick, Zach and I were talking and there was Herbert and there was Tua. And now that it's two and a half years removed, I can tell you at the combine in February or March. He's like Burrows, the dude, and and he wasn't giving me away any government secrets. You guys had the number one pick, and he's like, bro, and the conviction that he had back then, and that Zach Taylor, the head coach, he's like, it's just he give me your best Joe Burrow, either scouting or pre-draft interaction, either looking at my LSU, like when did you guys know in that building that as much as we love these other guys and they might go on to be bigger and better than Burrow someday, some far time away um, that you knew Burrow was the guy for the Cincinnati Bengals.
6: Uh, We just, we saw the, I mean, I knew when I watched him play in the college playoff um, and we were obviously getting close to picking a number one. And once we had cemented that pick, Uh, after watching those games you come away with a guy that you're like wow this guy unflappable great creator Um, you could tell the guys at lsu respected him Uh, what an incredible journey from going to ohio state and then being able to win over the lsu locker room in a really short amount of time and that's what we needed here in cincinnati we needed a player that had that ability and uh, after watching that i was pretty much sold obviously we did our homework we evaluated everybody Uh, but that was the moment where i was like i think this is the guy for us and um, the best part was when we, you know, that was COVID year. So we had all kinds of uh, restrictions and hadn't really got a chance to see him. We didn't have a pro day. Um, and so everything was virtual. So the first time we got to see him in person was uh, at the Combine for our short, you know, our short top top 50 meetings that we get there. Um, and he was very much himself. He had no nerves. Uh, he kind of knew what was coming. And we all walked out of that meeting, I think everybody in that room thinking, that's what it's supposed to look like. You know, <laughs> that's the guy. Like that's the guy. So uh, it's a good feeling when that happens.
4: Now, take us through last year's playoff run. Um, what'd you learn about him there? And what's your best story from Burrow, either in the Tennessee game or uh, you know the following week, where you guys have another victory? And then, of course, in the AFC Championship game when you play against the Chiefs.
6: Yeah, I think the, the AFC Championship game was was awesome. It was. Uh, you know, having to come back from that deficit, you know, we had to come back from just to see him uh, on the sidelines. He just you knew as soon as he walked on the field, it, we had a shot and everything that he did in that game was was incredibly impressive. The p- plays that he created, you know, he slipped out of two of Chris Jones, probably sure sacks. Um, but my favorite story was really from the first Kansas City game when we played him here at home to win the AFC, the AFC North. And uh, he came to the sidelines, and we threw a we threw a pressure route um, to the left side to to um, Tyler Boyd, and he knew as soon as he came back to the sideline, he said, "Hey, Jamar, next time I throw this, just be ready down the sideline. The safety's not getting enough width. We're not gonna, they're they're not going to be able to cover you." And so we come back to that play probably a series or two later, and he throws it right down the right down the sideline to Jamar for for you know uh, probably fifty sixty yard touchdown. He saw it
4: in real time yeah. that hey, if I'm doing this Boyd play, I see Jamar in yeah. the corner of my eye like that's going to be open.
6: Yeah, I and mean, he came to the sideline, told Jamar, told us to call it again, and, and we did, and and he and he answered it with a with a huge touchdown. So, um, things like that happen with him every game, where he sees he sees things happening. He's got incredible vision and understanding of, of what defenses are trying to do, where they're located on the field, um, and he's got great feedback, and he knows exactly how he wants to attack a team, especially as the game unfolds. And um, you know, he's he said even this week, getting ready for the Chiefs, that you know they're they're. The rush lanes we're, were going to leave him some opportunities to create some plays and and you saw him he rushed for he uh, know, 10, 10 times for 40 or 50 yards yeah. and some some big plays so he just got a great feel for the game and, and what he where, what he can do to win a game is, has been his most impressive uh, impressive traits so far and, and the big moments he never shies away from him
4: Your offense is cool because you've got uh, obviously Burrow, the superstar, but you also have these wide receivers. And then, of course, the offensive line, the big boys up front. But I thought this week was interesting. You know, players in the Chiefs were chirping a little bit. You guys were chirping back. And then the game starts on Sunday, and it's like this was a war. And that offense galvanized around each other. You guys were trailing. You came back. Tell us about this, the identity, and maybe the culture in that locker room, especially from your side of the ball, the offensive guys.
6: Yeah, I think we have a a really – a uh, tough-minded team. You know, they don't get too they don't get too up or down. They're really consistent with their day-to-day preparation during the week, which I think makes uh, makes for a really even keel team on game day. They know what to expect. They know how um, the game's going to unfold. I think they do a great job of of understanding how we're trying to attack a team. Um, but I think what really showed up with really the last two weeks against the Titans and the Chiefs is uh, I think we're a tough team. You know, I think our I think we'll we're willing to get down and dirty with teams and we can be physical up front and we can move the line of scrimmage and our backs run really hard. Um, they run really physical. And, and when it's time to, you know, we're, we get lumped into that finesse uh, label sometimes, but we're not a finesse team. And I think that that's been fun for us to discover this year is that we're a, we could be, we could be as tough as required in, in the run game. And uh, those guys up front have really come along done a nice job, but um, I love, I love what our guys are about. I love the way they play football. Yeah. And they're deep. Like,
4: Mixon has five touchdowns less than a month ago and then now it's Samaje Pirine back-to-back weeks with Mixon and right. the concussion protocol stepping up. I love that part of it. Uh, before we shift gears, Burrow, his style, these these suits that I couldn't pull off. You and Zach are two of the most, yeah, you and Zach Taylor are two of the most humble guys. I think of Coach Lou Anarumo like, you guys are in you know extra, extra large sweatshirts with beards and then you've got yeah. Joe Burrow in like a, a leopard costume. Um, what, what Do you guys joke about it or is it just, hey, let Joe be Joe and you don't even have the, you didn't even take the piss out
6: of it. I don't. I mean, there's not much we're gonna say to him that's gonna change his mind. I think that's what's that's what's great about Joe is he's uh, unabashedly himself, and he doesn't really care really what anybody else thinks. Um, and you know, he always says all the time uh, uh, he doesn't have fashion sense. He just think he likes things that uh, he feels are cool, and he just wears them. And for some reason, he makes it work. I could never pull off anything. No, me neither. Um, but that's what makes Joe pretty special. That's what's, what's fun about him is he's, he is 100% himself all the time. He doesn't try to be anybody else. Um, and he just kind of wears things that catch his eye and some, for some reason, everybody else seems to think it's cool. So, uh, yeah, he gets a little ribbing every now and again, but, um, you know, that's, that's part of it when you wear outlandish outfits and, but he makes it work.
4: I was gonna say, as long as you're winning in the end, you can smoke those cigars, you know, (laughs) like it works. It works. Um, uh, I, your story is cool to me. So you grew up in a football family. Your father is legendary coach, Bill yep. Callahan. Um, you, you go through high school, you go to UCLA, you have to make a decision. What do I want to do with my life? Uh, Brian Callahan, you decide, I want to go and follow my father's footsteps. Take us through those first decisions to go into the line of coaching, knowing uh, just just how unique a profession that could be.
6: Yeah, um, it was actually, I was I was finishing up playing. I was not a very good, I was not a, uh, uh a high end football player, uh, which is, you know, most of us that go into coaching usually can't play very well. So we try to go coach. Um, but I, I, I enjoyed football. I enjoyed being around it and I wanted to continue. And I initially thought I would go into like athletic director, that kind of route in college and still be around the game. But I also knew what coaching, uh, was like, I knew what, what it brought. Um, I had no, uh, misconceptions about how the career can go and it can be really really fun it can be really really hard all at the same time uh, so I was like all right well maybe I won't do coaching maybe I'll find something else and then as I was getting ready to graduate um, Carl Durrell our head coach at the time at UCLA had said that you know we have a graduate assistant opening here um, if you'd be interested and I was like well yeah what the hell I mean I'm gonna yeah I'll get a, another I'll get my year graduate. in Polly, sure yeah, I'll do it yeah I'll get my graduate degree and and, uh and and see if i like coaching and uh really once i made that decision the 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 rest was history i i got bit by the bug and and i love coaching i love being a part of it and uh, i asked i told my dad that i wanted to get into it and he said um well if uh he goes you know what you're getting into and if you want to do it i'll do everything i can to help you um but you just you know you understand what you're getting into Right, and I said, "Yeah, I think I do." Was and, he
4: flattered, or was he like, "Son, what are you doing?" I, you know, or is maybe he said he was the ultimate honor that you wanted to do it. Uh, I think
6: he was. I think he was excited about the fact that I was interested in, in, in doing it. Um, probably because he knew he could he could help me along, and uh, you know, he's obviously been my biggest mentor and, and the biggest influence in my coaching career. And so, uh, I think he felt uh, some pride in that, some some connection in that, which has been great. Um, it's how we've always connected is through football. And, you know, it's like some guys go fishing with their dads and my dad and I talk about football (laughs) Um, and it's great. And I love it. And it's, it's been a, it's been a really, really fun process of growing through it and and talking to him all the time about all the things and teams and games and scheme. And, um, it's been great. Uh, My mom was the one that wasn't so happy about it when I told her, um, she said, she said, you're going to get two degrees from UCLA and you're going to do this. And I said, um i think i am i think i am going to do it she wasn't as happy um for me i don't think at the time because she's the one that's got to do all the hard lifting for coaching and moving the family and yeah selling houses and you know we moved quite a bit obviously over the years uh, but i got lucky to to finish my high school in one spot but uh yeah coaching is a coaching is a very rewarding profession it's also a very hard one
4: when he, when he was coach of the raiders um as the head coach uh rich gannon was the quarterback did you get yeah. any interaction with Gannon? he had an mvp season he's like you're so yeah. good with quarterbacks and we're gonna get into it like your history with quarterbacks is incredible did you have any as a high school kid have any relationship to rich yeah. gannon who was winning mvp awards
6: yeah i did in fact that was you know that's always been the most fun part of growing up a coach's kid which i think is you talk to guys that have gotten into coaching over the years um that's what they that's what draws them to it because all i've ever known is practice fields and locker rooms and meeting rooms. And I've just been around it forever. And by the time I got to high school, you know, I've been bitten by the football bug. I was I enjoyed playing, I, I enjoyed the process of it all. And um, I started hanging out um, at mini camps and training camp. I worked the training camp when I was in high school. Um, and so all those years I was up there, I, I got to sit in meetings with Rich and, and John Gruden and, and my dad. And, and those were really, really formative times for me uh, just as a, as I reflect back on all the lessons I learned probably subconsciously more than anything else, as you look back at and the things that you heard and saw and, 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 observed and everything you just sort of learned through observing. And, uh, it was an incredible time. Rich was really kind to me. He, he, he invested a little bit of time in me and, um, you know, I'd ask him questions and he'd answer them and, and he was really great for me as a, as a. And you're as what, as like a 16 coach. year
4: old, 17 year old kid and Rich Gannon, the MVP of the league is answering your questions.
6: Yeah, it was pretty awesome. Um, and it's, you know, and it's, there's, there's coaches that were there at the time that that gave me time. You know, Jim Harbaugh was there as a quality control coach. <laughs> uh, David Shaw was there as a quality control coach at the time, and so those were the guys that I, you know, I would ask questions and be around, and they were always really generous with their time. And uh, all, all of those people at the time made a pretty big impact on me as a as a young football player. Um, and there's a lot of lessons I draw back on from that time. And time as a being around those types of people and players, um, you know, as a 16, 17 year old kid.
4: You have one of the cool like reputations in the league as a quarterback guru. And it's not because you, <laughs> you have no, but it is like I'm gonna go through the list and you're gonna take me through it. But you, you get somewhere and it's all different types. The first real quarterback, I'm looking at your resume here. You go to Denver and it's you know the the Broncos here is with John Fox and it's before Peyton gets there. Tim Tebow is the quarterback, and he goes in midseason and you guys went a little run and Tebow time was a thing. You had to draw up an offense. Nothing against Tebow's you know skills, but you had to drop an offense that accentuated his strengths. What was that like as a young coach? And what are your memories of the Tebow Broncos and Tebow time and you know, the mania that really became of it?
6: Uh, it was it was one of the most wild series of games and events that I've probably even ever been a part of. Just uh, the momentum that that carried, the adulation that he received, the ways that we won those games were crazy. Um, all kinds of wild stuff would happen and um it was just a, it was a really fun time to be a you know I think it was my second year in the league that happened and I was like is this always what this is like you know and um but I think we had a really good set of coaches there I think that's that was a phenomenal offensive staff
4: who was um, on so, that staff I'm picturing the, the wins. I don't remember the staff
6: though. yeah it was Mike McCoy was offensive coordinator okay. uh Adam Gase was the, was the quarterbacks coach um uh Tyke Tolbert was the receiver yeah. coach. Eric Studisville was the running back coach. Yeah. Uh, Clancy Barone was our tight ends coach. Um, and, and Dave Magazoo was our offensive line coach. So we had, we had a lot of veteran coaches, a lot of experienced guys that have gone on to, to, to be head coaches in the NFL. And um, you know, those guys kind of raised me, if you will. You know, those are the guys that I uh, invested in my career at a young point, especially, you know, Eric Studisville and, and Adam Gase, Mike, those guys really uh, invested in in me and, trying to feel to find an offense that was really, you know, we were doing things then that not a lot of people were doing in the NFL. We we had transitioned to a little bit more quarterback run game, some of the option game. Um, You know, I had coached and played in an option offense in high school. So I felt like I might've had a little bit of uh, experience that was valuable and I could have some input. And, um, you know, I just thought we did a great job collectively of, of finding ways to highlight Tim's strengths and, You know, find a way to win a bunch of games, and and we did. We found our way to the playoffs, and that Pittsburgh game with the walk off touchdown at Demaryius was. Was one of the probably one of the cooler moments in my career. So that was a lot of
4: fun. It's funny because I remember the Dolphins. Win. I, I'm not even I'm not looking at a spreadsheet or anything. It's off the top of my head. Dolphins game. He comes in. You guys win. I remember the Jets Thursday night game was wild yeah. to win that one. But I remember specifically a Bears game where the late Marion Barber <laughs> fumbles late. Yes, he did. And it's like these things aren't supposed to happen. Tebow was getting opportunities, and it was like this is written in the stars. And then the Pittsburgh playoff game. Yeah. Where famously on the first play of overtime he had the late Demarius Thomas on a pass, and eventually the luck ran out. Not luck, but just the Patriots were too good. And they beat you guys on a Saturday night yep. that like I think Gronk had 17 touchdowns. But Yeah, they
6: this, this stopped us pretty good that day. <laughs> I
4: think so, but it was a great run. Yeah. And then the following year, it's like, all right, or a couple years, it's it's Peyton Manning. And you couldn't think of a more different thing of like young Tebow trying to draw it up in the in this in this dirt. Like how are we can make this work? To then the ultimate sheriff and the ultimate cerebral quarterback, shifting from Tebow to Manning. You know, how how does it work with Peyton Manning? And then how do you get a voice with Peyton Manning when he's a guy who's got so many accomplishments and was obviously uh, had, had years of wisdom in that
6: brain of his? Yeah, I think the the starting point for me is I, I had to earn I had to earn his trust um, in the in the football world of, of, did I do the work? Can I do the work? Can I keep up? Do I understand? Can I help him? Um, and I had to earn that respect, um, and earn that trust from him over some over time and I had to put the work in. And it was, it was probably, um, the most fun I've had coaching in terms of just the, the pressure and expectation and intensity. Would he challenge you guys? Like I, I feel like usually it's the coaches
4: challenging the players, but was Peyton it's picturing you and Adam Gase in a room yeah. and Peyton just
6: peppering you with questions. Yeah, that's about what it was. And, um, and they're all questions that involved trying to win a football game. And they, it was it, everything about what he did every day was ch- trying to be great and trying to win as many games as possible. And uh, you'd walk into that meeting room and you know, you're in, I'm in charge of the breakdowns or, uh, and, and, he'd come in and he'd say, Hey, go back to this game, go back to that first game, uh, six weeks ago. And you, you called this coverage, uh, cover six, but I don't think it's cover six. I think it's two Tampa. And then you would have to defend yourself. <laughs> yeah. Cause now you're in a corner you're yeah. like, All right. <laughs> and whether, and whether or not you felt like you were right or he was right. Um, and, and most of the time, you know, he's right, um, but, uh, that's how you learned. And, and you learned that that was the type of intensity that was needed all the time, um, you know, and I, I felt like over over the first part of those years there, I, I earned his trust. Uh, the information I gave him was accurate. Um, it was it was the right information, and he could use it uh, in a game. And um, you know, I did everything I could to to try to help help us win and and help him be prepared. And that was my role uh, in, during that time in Denver. And it was it was a ton of fun. Let's
4: go back to that Super Bowl win. You guys beat the Carolina Panthers. Obviously, it's this amazing moment. Uh, Peyton gets his second Super Bowl. Your memories of that run and uh, what what you take with you now as you're in search of another Super Bowl ring.
6: Yeah, um, you know that was a that, my memories are probably different than some other people's just because that was a that was a hard season for him in particular. You know, it was uh, he had had some, so the plantar fasciitis, he was injured. Um, Brock Osweiler had played. We had transitioned from really his offense into a hybrid of, of Gary Kubiak's and his offense, and um, you know he was he was battling the injury. He didn't play well early. Um, it was just one of those seasons that you look back and everybody talks about you know, magical runs and, and there wasn't much magical about it. It was hard. Um, there was a lot of ups and downs. And I think that uh, that prepared me for the you, you get to these moments and seasons and they're not they're not easy and there is no magic. And it's a lot of hard work. Um, and I think that that really prepared me to handle these types of runs as you get going. There's going to be ups and downs. Things aren't going to go great. Um, you always get those thirty-minute TV shows that gloss over all the things that go into it, and you see the- Oh, I work on one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you see all the confetti and and all the fun, but you realize that there was, you know, a lot of things that went into that 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 weren't perfect and and weren't always. Uh, you didn't always feel like you were on top of the world, and it was a lot of work. And so I think that that's really prepared me to to make the runs that we've had here last year, and and the ups and downs that we had that season, and and to start this season as well. That you just know that it's it's not perfect, and it is hard, and it takes a ton of. Of time and attention and, and and work to get there, and at the end of it, when you put a bow on all of it, then it feels magical. But there's a lot of work that goes into it, and I think that was a really valuable lesson that year in 2015. That um, you know, and you got to play your best uh, at at the moment in the season when it's required, which is usually uh, December into January, and and that's where you have to play your best football.
0: You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring I think Kobe and everybody in their prime, Kobe will win a one-on-one yeah, contest. Yeah, because you got to think, Love he's it. going to guard. He don't care about guarding. He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like You see him in the exactly. Olympics, he's going guard. And then on I'm top of it. like that, see that?
7: Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game.
6: I remember mean, you came out my room crying tears, <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. and then he's going to withdraw us about winning.
0: Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because then I need it? Ain't <laughs>
1: Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual-wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
3: Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade the ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva, also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store.
4: All right. So you go from Tebow, which was just ingenuity and, and creativity. You go to Peyton, which is cerebral, but you know, one of the greatest to ever do it. And then you get Stafford in Detroit, who's just got the ultimate cannon. Um, your memories of matthew stafford and when you went up against him in the super bowl last year were you yeah. like are
6: you serious are we
4: really doing this right
6: now that's how i felt yeah um, i i just i have a ton of respect for matthew he's an unbelievable competitor um you know he's he's what you would you'd probably call uh, he's earned the right to be called a warrior you know the things that he plays through the toughness that he's uh exhibited over his career and and the incredible passer that he's been for the time he's gotten in the league and until now is um you know, I think he's a fantastic player. I loved working with him for you know for two years. It was a good run. We were a pretty good offense those two years. Uh, made the playoffs one year, just missed it the second year before um, they fired Jim Caldwell there. And uh, I love him as a person. Um, I think he's an incredible player, and we had a ton of fun. And I and I like to think I helped him a little bit um, over those years. And and but he's I've always stayed in touch with him. And you know, I, I I was incredibly happy for him that he had a chance to display his ability to the world and. Uh, and, and win a championship. Uh, unfortunately, it came against at, at our expense here in Cincinnati, but um, there's not a whole lot of guys that have more respect for than Matthew. And I'm happy that he got a chance to, to put his talents on display and, and win a Super Bowl ring. And uh, whenever he decides to hang him up, he's he's got that on, on the back of his name as a Super Bowl champion. I think that's pretty great. He
4: sure does. You've had Derek Carr as well. You've had countless others. Who's the quarterback you haven't had a chance to coach that you've always admired from afar or maybe have gotten to know and you love their game? If you were to say, here's a guy in the league now previously that you just watch him on tape, whether you were growing up or whether it was when you were in the coaching, and you're just like, gosh, that guy, he could sling it.
6: Uh, You know, there's so many unique players now. The quarterback position has changed so much, and there's so much variance. And the types of guys that have success, um, I always think that uh, it's been fun to you know, fun to watch Justin Herbert play. I think it's been fun to watch Jalen Hurts uh, find his find a niche and a role and really play well. Those guys have been really fun to watch. Um, you know, I I can't say there's anybody that uh, that would ever be more uh, fun for me to coach. Drew Brees was always my hero. Uh, Is that right? Oh, yeah. Where's that yeah. from? You
4: just love to undersized quarterback, yeah. just
6: precision. What? That's that's kind of what I fancied myself as as a, as a young player. I was a little bit undersized myself and you know, I didn't have a huge arm, but I was relatively accurate. It was kind of where my strengths were. And, um, I actually followed him, you know, he was at Purdue and they went to the Rose bowl. I was, I wore 15 when I was in high school. Cause I was right around the same time. I was a sophomore, um, oh, that's and he cool. wore 15 at Purdue. And, he, when he actually did one of our games last year, I had a chance to I'd never got a chance to meet him all the years I've been in the league.
4: Yeah, the playoff game, Raiders, Bengals. He was on the call. Yeah,
6: and I and I told him I just when we did a production meeting and I said, Hey, before we start, I just I have to tell you this. <laughs> I was like, You were my absolute hero growing up. Uh, I idolized everything about your game and uh it was cool. He was he's one of my favorite players that I, I never got a chance to coach, and that would be the guy that you know, as as a as a fan of quarterback play that I always had a ton of respect for, really loved watching him play the game. So um, I'm glad I got a chance to finally meet him and tell him that but yeah Drew Brees would probably be the one
4: full circle and we're going to wrap it soon but uh, you know we're top of mind and we're topic of the day stuff I'm not local media here but go up against the Browns this following week and forget they match up because the that's one thing to me I look at the org charts here the staffs you're coaching against your dad. What is that week like? And now you get it two times a year. What's it like when you coach against your pops in an NFL game?
6: Yeah, you know, the, You know, kind of contrary to most coaches' kids, I've never worked for my dad. Um, and that was partially by design early on. And then um, obviously as my career has gone on, I've always would have loved to work with them, but never had, had really had that opportunity line up for us. And uh, we've actually ended up competing against each other more often than I think most coaches' kids compete against their dads. Uh, and so there's a part of it that's really cool and really special that you get a chance to do that. And, uh, I can tell my kids that, you know, you know, dad and grandpa are facing off today and yeah. that's, that's kind of a fun thing for them. They, they play spot the grandpa on TV when they try to, buy <laughs> um, but that part of it's fun. Um, uh, the, the part where we actually have to compete in the same division for a division title and, and, you know, wins and losses matter and, and you're having to go against your own dad when you're. You know, I grew up my dad's biggest fan every team he ever coached for was always a team that I loved following and uh, that part's not my favorite uh, I don't enjoy that as much um, and I don't I don't particularly enjoy having a coach in the division against them you know, yeah that's it's very rare twice a year is not my favorite it's you know we've gotten good at it we've done it for you know uh, quite a while now but um I don't enjoy particularly having to compete against my dad just because I I think we root for each other's success and, and really it kind of goes, counterintuitive to all the things that we've always felt and you know you're always rooting for each other that but now you're not. you're trying to beat each other uh, in big division games that matter. And so that that part's not my favorite, but um, there is something about it that is pretty unique and special
4: it's cool and it's going to be a great matchup. Those guys have had your number a bit over sure the years have. and it and it's time for the Bengals to to see what they can make of this season. Um wrapping up, you know, a lot of people around the league listen to this podcast. People uh, are always chiming in, "Hey, should I have this guy. Your name's come up a bunch as someone that they want to hear from because there's a there's a good chance you're going to get one of those HC jobs in the next couple of years." Uh what what are your values? What are your your leadership like? What does Brian Callahan bring to the table to a team? And I'm not asking you to do any audition or interview for me, but for those of us who are getting to know you now for the first time, what what do you bring to the table, and how would you like to be looked at as a leader?
6: I think I'm consistent. You know, I think my approach is is very consistent. My emotions are very consistent. Uh, I think you get that way working with quarterbacks, just because that's how you that's how you have to approach the position. Uh, not to say that I, I don't have intensity behind it or I, I can't get on guys and um, I think, you know, our guys be the first to tell you that, that I'm fully capable and fully willing to to jump on when, when it's necessary. But um, I think there's a, there is a, a value in a consistent demeanor and a consistent approach. Um, I do think sometimes calmness is, is contagious. You know, when you're in big moments and big, big spots, when everybody's losing their minds, you're the one that kind of stays calm and steady. And I've always prided myself on that. Um, you know, and I think my, my coaching style is, is one of, uh, I try to build relationships the best I can. It's a, it's a people business. It always has been, it always will be. And, um, the better you get to know your players, the more they trust you, the more they, they buy into what you're saying, the more that, um, they allow you to, to enter into the relationship of trust and, and be able to coach and teach from a place that, uh, they always feel like you're, you're trying to make them better. Um, and they're going to be able to, to reach their goals and dreams as well. That's our jobs as coaches is to put those guys in those positions to, to make money and get paid and, and win games. <laughs> and I think that, Uh that's that's always how I've been. I'm probably never gonna change that. And um, you know, hopefully that, you know, doesn't whether somebody else likes it or not, uh I I have no control over that. But um I try to do the do the best job I I I can where I'm at and let the rest of it take care of itself.
4: Yeah, I mean, just for my you're incredibly intelligent, obviously. You're humble. Um, but you are one of those dudes that and there's I guess a lot of coaches say, I am too. You live and breathe football. I feel like it's everything yeah. that we've ever spoken. I just, I feel like this is you're a great family man and all that. And you've got a, a wonderful, you know, full life, but you live and breathe football. And I think that's what the fans need to know. And my last question, it's, it's about the Bengals fans because I'm on good morning football. We have watched this rise from the ashes, like a Phoenix, yeah. and there might be no more passionate fan base that maybe I didn't even know about going into this job as one of those fan bases Maybe it's because of the winds. Maybe it's because of, of the style of Burrow. And maybe it's just because they've been waiting to explode with, with all of this over the last couple of years. Uh, what has been your uh, impression and reception of the Bengals fan base and, and what that thing has become?
6: They, uh, they're the best. Uh, we, I love them. I love Cincinnati. I love people here. I love living here. Um, but you can see they're, they're passionate about their, their city. And you see a lot of these places you know, the Cincinnati's, the Buffalo's, the Detroit's, the people are really, really proud of of their cities and, and what they stand for. And, um, you know, Ohio is is always been a great football state. Um, You know, you you look even at the prep football scene in Cincinnati and, and throughout the state. I mean, there's, there's a passionate support for the sport of football, Um, Ohio state. And those are UC Cincinnati. I mean, those those Miami of Ohio, Miami of Ohio. Um, There's just a, a passion for football and, uh, they love the Bengals and it's, it's been a phenomenal, I mean, the support in the stadium, our game days have been electric this year. Uh, it's been really, really fun, but they, they love football. And now they have a, they have a, a team that they can get behind and we've, we've given them something to, to cheer about and be excited about. And um, I think that, that they appreciate it. And, and they, they don't take it for granted. And they, they love the fact that they got a team. That's really fun to be around and fun to follow and, and we're competitive and we can win games and, uh, they've been a, done a great job with our atmosphere and it's, it's a fun city to be winning football games in I think as you saw at the end of last year uh, you know the we can still only envision what a Super Bowl parade would be like here but we think about it every day and, and I think it's it's one of those things that, that keeps everybody going because the fan base has been fantastic they are as passionate and um, excited about what our team is and, and where we could be headed that you uh, they're not afraid to let everybody know either, which is great.
4: It's really cool. The game day experience is totally different than it used to be. I feel like it's a, it's almost like a college atmosphere. Yep. A lot of that credit is obviously the team and the players, coaches. I think Elizabeth Blackburn's done an incredible job with the yeah, branding been, and the marketing and the fan engagement. Um, the social media team is really good. Like they're engaged. Yep. And I would say the fan base. Like I've gotten to know something like this. Bengals Jim is yeah, one of the fans. He's the like, he's, yeah. he's great. Uh, this this woman Whitney on Twitter. This yep. Lindsey Patterson. She follows the team. Like engaged smart and that's what happens with winning football and for a, a hotbed of football like you guys have and couldn't be happier for you personally but couldn't be happier for the team as well um brian you're the man i, I yeah, appreciate you on. good luck from here on out we're doing this in week 14 let's see how it goes from here but first you got to beat your pops man
6: yeah like i said they've had our number, so we got to work cut out for us and it's it's uh, it's a big divisional game man we got to win one of these divisional games here we just got stealing the Steelers a couple weeks ago, and now we got to get another one here with Cleveland. So it's uh, it'll, it'll be a battle. They always are in AFC North. Get back to work, and thank you for joining us. Really appreciate your time. Thanks, Peter. Appreciate it, man.
4: Many thanks to Brian Callahan, the offensive coordinator for the Cincinnati Bengals. You heard it from him. They have a huge game against the Cleveland Browns. What happens often is a team will get so hyped for that big game against one team, and in this case, it's the Chiefs, and then maybe they have a hiccup over the next week because they got so hyped that they're kind of feeding off that or reading the headlines. I get the feeling listening to Brian Callahan. He, Zach Taylor, and defensive coordinator Lou Anarumo do not allow that to happen and that they will be focused in and dialed in to beat Deshaun Watson and the Browns. We flipped the page to week 14 and there's there's going to be press conferences this week and they're going to be asking Tom Brady questions about Brock Purdy and that to me is what's amazing you know obviously Purdy's story is this this wild ride but Brady's been through it before too Aaron I Tampa survives on another one they're six and six they're kind of on fumes and yet they're a playoff team right now, and they're going to San Francisco with the first real week of Brock Purdy ball. And if I'm Tampa Bay, I'm studying Purdy's film from last week, and I'm getting to know him a little better. It might not be as easy as it was against the Dolphins. Uh,
5: that's the game that got, that has me hyped this week. What do you got? I have to say the one I'm most excited for is what got flexed into Sunday night. I, I, I want to see Dolphins chargers. Tua has had an amazing season and then kind of got shut down by the 49ers, but I want to see him bounce back. I want to see Waddle come back healthy. I want to see them show up. And also there's this long running narrative of Herbert to, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's such a great Dolphins thing. Took
4: to it before Herbert. I'll tell you what though. Can the chargers win a game? Uh. You know, it's like they're getting primetime love here and to look at their record. And I, I'm a big Brandon Staley fan for what he's done defensively. And I'm, I love Herbert. and I love Eckler. And I love all of it, but like, I mean, come on. You got the Raiders last week. You're up 10 nothing. Again, it's another you know, crucible game, it feels like, for the Chargers. We've seen them in primetime year after year after year. It feels like they lose a lot of these games.
5: And there's also the Jets Bills game. I mean, like there's there's a lot of good stuff this weekend. And I, I know that they couldn't flex Bills Jets into Sunday night because Mike White, you know, is too busy working on White Lotus Sunday night. That's so it. he couldn't he couldn't do the Sunday night game. I'm not all that, caught up. I'm five, I not, got two more. I'm not either. I got in trouble actually this morning for not being caught up. Where someone <laughs> you're, someone
4: told her, like, yeah you know? yeah yeah. You're working on like
5: NFL shows, bro. I, I know. My partner was what, like, I'm getting spoiled on all these episodes. We what episode are up. you up to? I'm five in we're five too, yeah. Okay. so some,
4: some ending to the fifth episode
5: yes and we're hoping that we'll be all caught up by friday
4: okay i'll make a deal with you i will watch the sixth episode we will go into the finale together ready but we got to watch dolphins chargers okay first.
5: of course yeah uh
4: on behalf of my friend aaron won kaufman on behalf of jason english the maestro of the iheart team on behalf of the nfl network the nfl digital team On behalf of our music man, Jack Rudd, I want to thank everybody for listening. Awesome week ahead. Uh, Brian Callahan, fantastic. That's the offensive coordinator of the Bengals. You now got to know him, and when he's the head coach of your team, you'll say, I remember when. Until next week, this is The Season with Peter Schrager.
0: 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill. So you can stay in there as long as you want. You're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish spring body wash and bar soap, fresh,